I've stood by the bedside of a few people as they breathe their last breath. The last words a person speaks often carry great weight. Some are profound, some are odd. Actually, some are quite funny. I recently came across a list of some famous last words of some famous people. For example, George Orwell, the famous author, he said this before breathing his last breath. He said, at 50, everyone has the face he deserves. Groucho Marx, a famous comedian, he saved his last quip for his last moment. Just before he died, it's reported that he said, this is no way to live. <laughs> Dominic Bauhaus was a grammarian, meaning his job was to correct people's grammar. On his deathbed, he said the following. He said, I am about to, or I am going to die. Either expression is correct. Actor Michael Landon of the famous Little House on the Prairie fame, he was surrounded by his family on his deathbed, and his son said, Dad, it's time to move on. And Michael Landon reportedly responded, You're right. It's time. I love you all. And he died. Famous last words are usually short, crisp, to-the-point declarations, often summing up uh, what a person has learned in their life. Famous last words need to be short, crisp, and to the point because that's what makes them memorable. I mean, that's why they're called famous last words, not famous last paragraphs. It's their life-impacting content combined with their bite-sized packaging that makes them so memorable. Now, over the next few weeks here at Broadway, we're going to dedicate a significant amount of time towards studying some of the most famous, short, crisp, to-the-point declarations known to mankind. The declarations we're about to study are not famous last words, but they are life-impacting and they are bite-sized nonetheless. The tiny but powerful declarations we're about to study were written down and collected thousands of years ago. Now, history records that between 971 and 931 BC, a man named Solomon sat on the throne of Israel. King Solomon is famous for a few things. He was the son of the legendary King David. Solomon's mother was the well-known, the famous Bathsheba of David and Bathsheba fame. And Solomon was not only known to be the richest man in the ancient world, but he was also known to be the wisest as well. And that wisdom, by the way, was a supernatural gift from God. This is how it happened. One evening, uh, Solomon was sleeping and God appeared to him in a dream. And in the dream, God said to Solomon, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, of all the options Solomon had before him, he chose wisdom. Solomon said, give me a discerning heart so that I can govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. So that is exactly what God gave to him. It's recorded that God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding, now get this, as measureless as the sand on the seashore. So people came from all over the known world to ask Solomon questions, to, to glean from his insight. Now the Bible records that King Solomon wrote down thousands of his insights. And then one day, he decided to gather the best of those insights, along with the best of insights from some other men and women, 
and he packaged them together in one single volume. Now, his expressed purpose for this volume was to help his readers develop a set of practical skills to live life well. Solomon wrote the book as, as a roadmap for people to successfully navigate through a world filled with choices and obstacles. Now, the book he wrote became known as the Book of Proverbs, and it's included in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. That's the, the first half of the Bible. Listen, can I ask you a question? If you could sit down and listen to tips from the wisest person in the world, would you do it? Would you invest some time to listen to what that person had to say? If the wisest person in the ancient world told you that they had assembled the wisest sayings and they assembled them in a booklet for your benefit, would you bother to take the time to open up and see what's inside? If you wouldn't be interested, then you might as well bail on this sermon right now and switch over to Netflix. Because for the next few weeks, we're going to be sitting at the feet of King Solomon. I've asked a few members of our teaching team here at Broadway to select a proverb that has been most impactful to them and to share their insights with you this summer. And that series is beginning today. Now, it's known as the book of Proverbs, but what exactly is a proverb? Well, let me put it this way. If you have gray hair or if you're balding, think of a proverb as an ancient bumper sticker. A proverb is a simple but memorable slogan that catches your attention and makes you think, sometimes maybe even make you smile. If you have never uh, used a payphone or if your parents pay for your cell phone, then think of Proverbs as the very first tweets in human history. Proverbs are bite-sized bits of information launched out into the world. Or think in these terms. A proverb is a tiny, clever saying that offers some kind of knowledge. Now, when we say knowledge, we're talking about a very specific and narrow understanding of that term. The Hebrew word translated as knowledge is chokmah. This word means more than mere mental activity. This type of knowledge included action as well. So it was a special kind of knowledge that included skill. In fact, this is the word used in ancient literature to describe the abilities of artists and craftsmen. So then, a proverb is a tiny, polished piece of practical, insightful advice that has stood the test of time. Now, over the years, some people have struggled greatly with Proverbs. For some people, Proverbs have been a major source of frustration, even guilt and shame in their lives. You say, why is that? It's because they didn't understand the next two points on your outline. It's important to understand that a proverb is not a promise. A proverb is not a guarantee. A proverb is not a promise. Now, a proverb is not a promise, but a proverb is a probability. Now, what do I mean by that? A proverb says, generally speaking, if you do X, then Y and Z will follow. A proverb's not a promise. A proverb is a probability. A proverb is a general rule of thumb, a statistical observation. Think in these terms. 
A year ago, I stumbled across a study from the Brookings Institute that made a startling claim. When they crunched the numbers, they discovered the following. No matter your race, no matter your hometown, no matter your family of origin, if you check the following three boxes in your life, you have a 75% chance of living in the middle class of society. In fact, if you do these three things, you only have a 2% chance of living in poverty, no matter your race, no matter your family of origin, no matter where you're from. What are these three boxes you need to check? What are these three things you need to do? Here they are. Finish high school, get a full-time job, and wait until you're 21 before you get married and have a child. Finish high school, get a full-time job, and wait until you're 21 before you get married and have a child. If you do those three things, you have a 75% probability of living in the middle class. It's not a promise. It's not a guarantee. But generally speaking, it is true. Well, that's a lot like a proverb. A proverb is not a promise, but it is a probability. In fact, we could put those three things into the form of a memorable little proverb ourselves. Putting graduation and occupation before consummation leads to maturation. There you go. We just created a 21st century proverb and a shout out to Paul Moores for help on that one. It's not a promise, but it is a probability. Well, how does understanding this prevent a lot of pain, guilt, and shame? One of the proverbs that we'll be addressing this summer is Proverbs 22.6. It's quite famous. That proverb says this. It says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Now, is that proverb teaching that every child raised in a Christian home is guaranteed to live as a follower of Jesus? I'm sure we can all think of situations where that was not the case. I'm sure we can all think of people who were raised in Christian homes who didn't grow up to live as followers of Jesus. So what do we do with that? Proverbs says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Well, does that mean that if a child of Christian parents does not follow Christ, it is entirely the parent's fault? Is this proverb teaching that those parents must have been lazy or negligent? Well, if you think that a proverb is a promise, that's where you'll end up. But when you understand that a proverb is not a promise, but a probability, you begin to see things in a completely different light. Now, I am going to unpack Proverbs 22.6 a bit more in a few weeks, a little later in this series. But today, I'm going to begin with the most foundational proverb in the entire book of Proverbs. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Oddly enough, today's proverb is the exception to the rule that we just laid down. The proverb I'm about to highlight is a promise. The proverb I'm about to share with you is a guarantee. There are no exceptions to the proverb we're about to unpack. You can take today's proverb to the bank. It's found at the very beginning of the book. It was part of Solomon's introduction to the book of Proverbs. Scholars refer to this proverb as the theme of the entire book, since Solomon seems to go back to it time and time again. It's found in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It goes like this. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Imagine a person sitting across from you in a coffee shop. 
They're suffering from a serious case of amnesia. They have completely lost their memory. They can't remember anything about their past. They have to start all over again. Now, their heart and their mind, clean slates. So they look across the table at you and they ask you this question. They say, listen, I have to start all over in life. So where do I begin? What is the very first thing I need to know to start off right? What is the very first building block for a successful life? How would you answer that question? King Solomon, the wisest person in the ancient world, provides us with the answer. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So according to Solomon, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, the fear of the Lord is where every successful journey begins. This proverb is the starting point for a successful life. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, if you don't get this step right, everything you do afterwards will lead you in the wrong direction. Think in these terms. Nowadays, a cornerstone is really more ceremonial than essential. But historically, the cornerstone was the first and the most important stone set in the entire building process. Careful measurements were taken to ensure that that cornerstone was perfectly square, to ensure the proper alignment of the rest of the building, because every other stone would be laid down relative to the original cornerstone. Well, this proverb is the cornerstone of the building of your life. This proverb is the starting point of a successful life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So what exactly does it mean to fear the Lord? I mean, I thought God loves us. Are we supposed to be afraid of him now? How does that work? Well, that's not the sense of how this word is being used. The Hebrew word for fear in this context means to have reverence. It means to see God in all of his fullness and all of his power and then to respond to him accordingly. For many years, I lived 15 minutes away from Niagara Falls, one of the natural wonders of the world. Every time I visit the falls, I have a fear of the falls. Every time I stand beside the falls, and I've even walked in behind the falls, I can only recognize and respect the massive power that the falls represents. But that is nothing in comparison to what we should feel when we stand before the creator of those falls, the creator of the entire universe. That creator is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, holy, just, righteous, eternal. Do you remember how the Israelites reacted when they stood before the mountain that housed the presence of God at the top of that mountain? The Bible says there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And the Bible goes on to say, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed a distance and they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we'll die. Their grasp of God's power made them all the more aware of their own weakness. And that is what it means to fear the Lord. 
And how did Moses respond, by the way? The Bible says, Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Don't be afraid, but be fearful. You see, in that verse, Moses threads the needle when it comes to the fear of the Lord. It is not a fear rooted in terror, but it is a fear rooted in reverence. It's the reverence that comes when you recognize the reality of God's infinite greatness. When you fear the Lord, you see God, yourself, and the world around you in their proper perspective. When you fear the Lord, you make life's choices and filter life's voices with a humility that is grounded in reality. Think in these terms. When you fear the Lord when things are going well, you're wise enough to know that it is God who ultimately owns and rules it all. When you fear the Lord when things are going well, you are wise enough to recognize that everything you have belongs to Him. It all comes from Him, and in the end, it will all return back to Him. Now, when you fear the Lord when things are not going well, you're wise enough to recognize that God remains in control, that God is still the one who ultimately owns and rules it all. When you fear the Lord when things are not going well, you're wise enough to recognize that God knows what you do not know, that God sees what you do not see, and you trust him in the midst of it all. And that brings us to today's big idea where we sum up the teaching in one simple statement. Here it is. When you start with a fear of God, you will end your fear of everything else. When you start with the fear of God, you will end your fear of everything else. That is Solomon's secret to a successful life. That is Solomon's starting point for a successful life. Fear the Lord. View life from the perspective of one standing at the foot of God's throne. Hey, if God is for you, who can be against you? Every obstacle you will ever face in life will fade in comparison to the greatness of our God. When you start with the fear of God, you will end your fear of everything else. If you do not have a proper grasp of who God is and what God can do, you will have an improper fear of who those around you are and what those around you can do. When you do not properly fear God, you will improperly fear others. When you do not wisely fear the Creator God, you will foolishly fear created faces and places. You will fear what people can do to you. You will fear what a day can bring to you. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When you start with the fear of God, you will end your fear of everything else. When you start there and when you live there, you are set up for success, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what about your life? What's the foundational fact, the starting point of your existence? Are you living with a healthy fear of God or are you living the life of a fool? Just imagine for a moment what your life could be like if you lived according to this truth. Imagine the fears that would fall away from your life. 
Imagine the clarity that would rise up in your life. Right now, picture in your mind your greatest fear. Picture in your mind that thing that torments you the most. Do you got it? Can you visualize it? Now imagine that thing placed before the throne of the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, holy, pure, just, eternal, creator and sustainer of the universe. Place that fear right there before his throne. Suddenly your tormentor shrinks and shrivels and shudders at the foot of God's throne. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. When you start with the fear of God, you will end your fear of everything else. If you're starting anywhere other than the throne of God, you are heading for certain destruction. Listen, it's not too late to change your view. It's not too late to change your life. If you'll pray with me right now, I'm going to show you how to make that brand new start. Let's pray together right now. God, I come to you right now by the authority of the resurrected Jesus. I want my life to be lived in proper perspective. I want to live according to the truth. I want to live according to reality. So forgive me for placing anything above you. Forgive me for having anyone or anything at the center of my life other than you. Forgive me for ever having more fear or reverence or respect for someone or something else apart from you. I want to fear the Lord. I want to start my life at the right place. I want to live my life the proper way. So give me your wisdom. Like Solomon asked for wisdom, I ask for wisdom. I ask you to lead me, to guide me, to direct me. And I do all of this based upon what Jesus has done for me. Now, I don't claim to understand it all. But I choose to believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead. And I accept his gift of forgiveness. I turn from my old way of living. I repent of that waywardness, that sin. And I turn to your throne. And I want to live for you. I want to live through you. So teach me your ways from this moment forward. Fill me with your spirit. Live within me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, perhaps, there's a number on the screen right now. Why not text that number and someone will help you take the next step? No, don't worry. We're not trying to trick you. You're not joining Broadway Church. We're not going to put you on a mailing list or anything like that. But we simply want to reach out to you and help you in any way that we can to help you take the next step in your journey. God bless you, folks. Hope you join us next week as we continue in our Ancient Tweets sermon series for this summer at Broadway Church. Have a great week. God bless you.